with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Welcome to After 9. It's Eric Allen, your host for this morning. For the first hour, my guest today is Keith Good. Keith's in the golf business in the city of Prince George. <clears throat> he uh, operates and manages uh, Pine Valley Par 3 Golf Course, uh, owns and operates and manages the uh, Alder Hills Golf Course, used to own the, uh, okay, what is it, Yellowhead Golf Course on, on Highway 16 West. So he knows a lot about golf and, and golf courses in the area. And I just want to get Keith to do a little history on uh, some of the golf courses here, just so we get a general sense of where we're at in the golf in Prince George. So uh, primarily, uh, Keith, if you can start with the ones that aren't with us anymore, give us an idea when they got started and how they were run. I think they were all family-oriented type of uh, golf courses. Then we'll go from there to... Uh, uh, you can include Pine Valley in the, in the history that you're talking about now, and then we'll go to uh, the uh, Alder Hills course and get into the the goodies out there. <laughs> okay, so maybe maybe start with uh, the Links of Maggie May. Okay, uh, Links of Maggie May, as far as I know, uh, it opened in the '80s, late '80s. No, sorry, it was it was, it was later than that. It was uh, in the '90s. Um, McConaughey family owns and operates that one. Um, I know they had some ill health two, three years ago, 2019, and they decided to close it down. Uh, the Yellowhead Grove Golf Course, uh, that was my father's. It was built in the late 70s, opened in the early 80s. And uh, I, I took over from my father in 2004 and uh, sold it in 2015. 2015. Uh, Pine Valley's been here, as you know, for quite some time, I think in the 60s. Uh, but, but Golf and Curling Club would have come first, followed by the Par 3 Pine Valley. We needed a Par 3 golf course. Then Aspen opened nine holes in the early early 80s, I believe. Or 70s, sorry. Yes, yeah, 70s. And then early 80s, they opened another nine, right about the time the yellow had opened up. So the, for the longest time, there was just four golf courses in Prince George. And then, like I said, uh, Lynx and Maggie May, followed by um, and Ness Woods. Actually, I think Ness Woods might open first. Aberdeen, of course. So we had a total of eight at one time, arguably too many for the size of Prince George at the time um, due to the... You know, the uh, attraction of golf kind of went by the wayside with uh, Tiger Woods' indiscretions, if we will. And um, after that, uh, like I said, there's three have closed since, and now we're down to five, which is pretty comfortable size for this town. Yeah, the ones the ones that are gone, uh, like uh, Nestwood, it's quite a little drive out there. I used to go out and play at that course quite a bit. And it's quite a drive out towards the southern Shelley Road, isn't it, for uh, Lynx and Maggie Me. Is it Shelley or Gisco? Yeah, Shelley. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a drive, too. So if you don't mind going for a scenic drive and playing around the golf, and, you know, that's what you do. Uh, right now, uh, like you said, we're down to five. Aspen, Prince George Pulp, Aberdeen, uh, Pine Valley, 
and uh, Alder Hills. So now, it, you know, maybe just touch on uh, Pine Valley and Alder Hills when it comes to members, ladies' nights, men's night, and the total number of people that actually play those nights. Because you mentioned some numbers the other day that kind of uh, got my attention. On, <laughs> for the ladies, anyway, I was quite surprised. Yeah, par three golf courses attract ladies. Uh, we've got quite a quite a following at both Pine Valley and Alder Hills. Uh, I think combined, there's over 500 registered Ladies' Day members. Uh, not all 500 play every week, of course, but uh, that's how many are registered. Uh, men's are, you know, they're a lower number because the guys like to hit the big sticks, so they're more attracted to the Golf and Curling Club and the Aspens of the world. But um, uh, we still have, between the two men's clubs, 140 probably members that uh, play on and off. Yeah, so those are people that actually sign up and are members of these courses. And then, of course, you got the public at large. Yes, yes yeah. of course, yeah. And tournaments. Par threes are great for tournaments, of course. Yeah, yeah. Non-golfers. The other thing I noticed when I was sitting out at Alder Hills the other day is those, uh, I don't know what you call them, but they're, they're those things that you stand on and drive, <laughs> and you got your cart and your clubs in front of you. Yeah. I think I, yeah, I was going to call them a Sedgeway or something, but... <laughs> What are they? They, uh, they're, they're called golf boards. Oh, okay. So they're basically a surfboard on four wheels that you mount your, your bag to on the front and you steer by actually, uh, body movement. So you actually have to physically move your body to turn the, the board. So like you're surfing. And, uh, they're, they're quite fun. Maybe a little bit too much fun for some people if some beverages are involved. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they almost the golf almost becomes secondary once you once you get on the golf board. It's, they're, they're, they're fun. So you had quite yeah. a few people actually using them. We actually just started renting them. We actually had to detune them because they were so fast. Oh. Um, the high speed you get going around forty kilometers an hour, and that was a little too quick going down the fairway. Trees coming up, some some alcohol involved, and yeah. So they, we just started renting them this past weekend. Actually. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's why I hadn't seen it before. Yeah. I guess. <clears throat> Okay, so now, now I just want to touch on the driving range, just the driving range itself for hitting balls out there. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that it's a full, a full driving range there. Yeah, so we have one at Aspen, one at uh, Alder Hills, and we have the one at uh, Aberdeen. Yeah. Aberdeen. So we have three full, full range driving ranges. But it's one of all the hills that I sometimes wonder if people realize it's actually there. That uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, it is. And uh, a little later here in the program, we're going to get into uh, this, uh, what do you call it? I call it computer golf. What do you call it? Uh, it's, most people are familiar with top golf, which is uh, very popular in, in the States. And yeah. uh, the technology that we're using is called Top Tracer. It's owned by Top Golf. So, okay. Yeah, so that's... Do we want to maybe get a break before we go into? We're okay. Okay, so then we're going to get into Top Golf. This is. I'm just going to leave that to Keith. He can go through it all and explain it to you. It's kind of interesting, and but it's somewhat complicated. He can give us some prices and how the groups function and that type of thing. So start from the beginning and away you go, Keith. 
So back in, I guess, 2019, I heard about the Campbell River Golf and Country Club had this new technology there that was um, quite popular uh, amongst their members. And, and it was dra- the, the big thing for me, it was dragging a lot of new golfers into the sport of golf. You don't have to be a golfer to, to go out and enjoy this technology. And a lot of people that have played it already, they say it's kind of like going to the strike zone where you, you buy a beer and you've got the video and uh, the music's playing and you hit the golf ball. So it's kind of like putting bumper rails up on the side of the driving range. When you hit the golf ball, there's no walk of shame, right? When some people are starting the game, they go out into a full-fledged golf course. It can be quite frustrating. Um, so that was kind of what attracted, attracted me. You know, this is a great way to, to get more people involved in the sport of golf. And it not just benefits, uh, you know, my golf courses, but also every golf course in town because a lot of these people come out, non-golfers, they're hitting the ball on this driving range and it's, you know, all of a sudden they're starting to hit it fairly well and they say, you know what, I'm going to go out and try the real thing. So they might go to Aspen or PG or, or wherever, one of, one of my courses. But the basic technology is there's two cameras that track your golf ball and provide all this different information about your golf ball. So the height of the golf ball or golf ball speed, uh, the degree off line that it is, uh, just there's probably about 12 or 15 different aspects about the golf ball. So there's 12 uh, bays that we have at Alder Hills Golf Course. All 12 can hit at the same time, and it will track all 12 of the golf balls. So if you watch uh, golf on TV on the weekends, you'll see the professionals hit the ball, and it shows the trail. Of, of the ball and all the different information about the ball that's the exact same technology it's called top tracer um hmm. so it's owned by again owned by top golf and top golf is owned by callaway golf so that's kind of the history behind it and i guess the difference between that and indoor golf indoor golf you're hitting into a screen this one here you're actually hitting the golf ball onto the driving range and it'll track all the information about that golf ball and distances you know, the big, uh, uh, one of the big challenges out there, there's like eight different challenges, is long drive. So people are coming out and trying to hit the ball as far as they can. So it's a competition, much like on TV. And the difference is you hit the ball and you look at the monitor, right? Instead of watching the ball go onto the, onto the driving range, you actually look at the monitor. And then inside the bay that you've rented, there's another monitor that your group is watching the exact same thing. Hmm. All the while, there's music playing, beverages are coming out, there's food. So it's a great place for birthday parties and what have you, right? Hmm. So we get there, uh, you get a group of, uh, for a competition, you get eight people for one? So you could do upwards of eight people per bay. Um, so all the different challenges, you can play upwards of eight people, whether it's closest to the pin, long drive competitions. Um, there's golf courses on there. St. Andrews is on there. The, the 150th Open was just on last week. That golf course is on there. They're actually showcasing it on the Golf Channel when they were showing. They're actually showing that the Top Tracer Golf, not the actual course itself. Um, it's, there's Pebble Beach. It's all these different golf courses you can play. That's the only one that's for four people. But if you rent the bay for eight people, you could have teams of two, right? So we could just name our teams and away we go. And the cool thing about the Top Golf technology, Top Tracer, is that we're connected to every Top Golf facility in the world. So we could have a competition with, say, the Las Vegas men and say, hey, 
let's play a Ryder Cup against your boys and we'll, we'll play against yours or girls, you know, not to, yeah. So anyways, um, yeah, and, and, and away we go, right? So there's leaderboards that we, we scroll inside the, the building and it shows the, the stats for just Alder Hills or I could have the stats for Canada wide or the stats for North America or for the globe. So we can compete against anybody. It's quite popular in, in Korea. They've got a, a whole bunch of these things there. <laughs> and yeah, so. Okay, so I hit the I hit the drive off the uh, the tee box, and so it tracks it to where it is. Then it gives me the yards to the green from there, and yes. I have to select another club, and then I I hit it on the mat. Yes, yeah, so you're hitting on the driving range, so there's no putting. Yeah. So if you're playing a golf course, <coughs> when you get within a certain distance of the green, let's say it's 35 yards, I think it is. Then you're chipping towards the 50-yard flag. And if you get it within a certain radius, it's a birdie. Another distance, it's a par. Bogey, double bogey, on to the next hole, right? So while you're playing, say, Eric, you're playing, and then I'm playing with you as well, I could be sitting in the bay watching the monitor. You're hitting. As soon as you're done, it'll flash up. Keith, you're up next. So you come in, I go out, and I hit, and so on. You say there's no putting. No putting, no. No. Is that coming? Do you know? No, no, there's no, no. putting, no. It's just chipping, yeah. No, but I mean, in the future, are they looking at that type of thing? Uh, not that I know of, but uh, who knows? I mean, they keep evolving this technology. It's yeah. every other month we get something new. That's, yeah. uh, hmm. yeah. And it goes, uh, so we we go to the nighttime. We've got targets out there. Targets are lit up at night. So now each different flag is, is lit up in a different color. So it's very uh, similar to the Top Golf in Vegas that have different lit up targets. And you aim towards the targets. And yeah. Hmm. And now the cool thing is if you, you download the Top Tracer app, so encourage you to do it before you get there. It's just a one time thing, it's free. And every shot you take on that driving range goes with you. So now let's say I'm going to Aspen or PG or wherever, and I'm trying to remember how I was hitting my 7-iron. I pull up that app, and it will show me exactly how I was hitting that 7-iron. Every shot hmm. that was taken there is on your phone. And as me as an operator, I can say, hey, where are my golf balls? If I'm missing some range balls, it'll tell me exactly where every golf ball is laying. It'll say, hey, Keith, there's 70 golf balls over that net on fairway 8. So anyways, and if I go there and they're not there, that means somebody took them, right? So, I mean, yeah, so it's pretty neat that way. That's interesting. So we're going to take a break. Okay, we're going to take a break here, and we'll be back shortly. I assure you, I'm a bachelor through and through. I am not stubborn. I'm independent. It's a story of an unlikely union. Una is not here. Riddled with hidden secrets and mysteries. She's known as the witch of Parencaire. Not safe. It's a secret worth living and dying for. The treasure of the secret cove on the next Lamplighter Theater. Sundays at 7 a.m. and p.m. here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Summer is here at Boston Pizza. Join Boston Pizza for their fabulous summer promotional menu on the patio with amazing new snacks, pizzas, and drinks for you to choose from. And don't forget about their happy hour from 3 to 6 and 9 to closing every day. Call Boston Pizza Spruceland at 250-564-1221 or Boston Pizza Brookwood at 250-562-1414 to book your reservation today. 
The 30th Annual Antiques and Collectibles Fair is this fall. Saturday, October 1st and Sunday, October 2nd, check out a great variety of antiques and collectibles at the Roller Dome. Admission is just $5, $4 for seniors and students, and children under 6 get in free. Interested vendors can call 250-563-1507 to book a table. In support of the South Bowl Community Association, the 30th Annual Antique and Collectibles Fair. Saturday, October 1st and Sunday, October 2nd at the Roller Dome. Forecast for Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today, clearing this afternoon, a high of 25 with a very high UV index. Tonight, clear with a low of 11. For Tuesday, sunny, a high of 29 with a high UV index. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back with Keith Good and uh, all good things about golf. Um... I wanted to ask you, Keith, the, what would the season be for this uh, golf, top golf that you got there? I mean, how late in the fall can you go to the first snowfall or something? Yeah, so really they're the only um, thing holding us back from staying open all year round. We've, we've put heat outside, so as you're standing outside, you're standing underneath a radiant heater, so that takes the, the edge off. Obviously, if it's minus 40, it would probably be a little tough, but I think minus 20 or so, you could probably still go out and hit some golf balls. Um, the biggest detraction for us is the inability to pick the range. So I would have to have uh, quite a golf ball inventory in order to stay open year-round. Um, in Colorado, there's two of these facilities that do stay open year-round. They have similar climate to us. However, they have a 2 million golf ball inventory. So they just hit golf balls all winter. And then in the spring, they get out and they got to pick up those 2 million golf balls, wash them, and so on. So it would be quite a, a chore in the spring. But they, you know, it's basically, it's about golf ball inventory. So if I have the golf balls, I can be open. Hmm. When they hit a golf ball off the mat and it's, it's being traced, uh, does it actually have to land on the ground before the computer can say where it is? Or uh... No, so um, the algorithms of the top tracer technology, everything on the golf ball that it tracks, it's done all the math in the first 55 yards. So it already knows before it's landed how far that ball is going to go. It knows exactly how it's going to go offline by so many yards. And when the top golf people came out, last february and they, they actually surveyed in the driving range and they set it all up they set it up to play dry and fast so what that means is if it say it rained all week this week and we're clay out there and you hit the ball and it, and it plugs your golf ball plugs into the into the driving range on the screen it's not going to show us plugging it's going to show us playing dry and fast so uh right now the current leaderboard at alder hills the long drive uh it's a 402-yard drive somebody poked out there. So that's the one to beat. If you guys think you, uh, you've you got the got that in your golf bag, come on out and see I if you can move that. Shots. <laughs> yeah, two shots and I'd have it beat. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, so I was just wondering, like, if we had something like a, a net that could catch the ball, golf balls before they landed in the snow... At an angle, say a 45 or 50, 55 degree angle, a small mesh net, and then the, the balls would all roll back towards the, where you drove them from. 
you know. Mm-hmm. And, and they kept hitting me. And they'd always knock the snow out of there because, you know, they're hitting them mm-hmm. all the time. So then they just automatically rolled back. And that might save you picking up a lot of balls come springtime. Mm-hmm. It might cost you a few bucks for the net. But it, but if it doesn't have to hit the ground, then that's mm-hmm. something you might want to think about. I thought about this for a long time for for wintertime to have just a regular driving range. The problem always is you drive it into the snow and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you so it's something you can maybe... Yeah, the pro- <clears throat> problem with netting is it would have to be... It, wet, heavy snow would just tear that net. There's just, yeah. I don't think there's a net out there that would be able to handle that. So, I don't think net would be the the answer to that. Yeah, I don't know. I was yeah. thinking maybe fishing net or plastic net, or yeah, or you could design your own. Yeah, yeah. just or some some funnel system to funnel everything mm-hmm. down and then run in. Yeah, you know, just one place to run it down, and, and the other ones come down like some of the. Uh, the uh, the uh, hills, uh, the uh, fairways at uh, Aberdeen. Right. <laughs> Either mm-hmm. side you hit, it comes down to the fairway anyway. So same thing with the golf ball there. Yeah. Hit the side, it comes down. You could rig something up. Yeah. So yeah. being a an entrepreneur, I'll leave that with you. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I was thinking about is... Uh, you have the regular golf carts out there at uh, Alder Hills too, have you? Yes. Quite a number? Or? Yes, uh, eight or ten of them, yeah. Eight or ten, so. Yeah. Hmm. Now, as far as, uh, what's your sense of golfing in Prince George with the courses that we have? Is it picking up now? Do you think, I think with the, after COVID, I think, or during COVID, it picked up a lot, didn't it? Yeah, COVID was uh, great for all golf courses uh, nationally and, and especially here locally. And I know that, uh, you know, we had our two best years ever in 2020, 2021. Um, it was really the only thing that people could do safely. Um, so it was great. This year they lifted the pandemic restrictions and now there's more opportunities for people to do other things. So um, rounds are down a bit. Uh, but still, we maintain quite a, a volume. We're still up over pre-pandemic numbers. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's been really good for golf. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, cause I see a lot of people coming out there, hadn't seen for years or hadn't seen at all. And they're all over the place golfing. And I'm thinking, well, I wonder how many of these are going to stick when it's over. And, and, you know, once they get the bug, they can yeah. be there for 10 years. Sure. Or ever. Yeah. You know, because uh, that's the funny thing about golf. If you really get to the point where you hate it, you walk away and don't come back for five years. But if you get into it, you'll stay there for 20 years yeah. or longer. Yeah, I mean, it's a sport you can play right, right into your 90s, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So there's that. And then, of course, you have a kitchen there. Yep, People kitchen, bar, you know, pub-style food. Um, great. We've had a couple birthday parties out there. We had one there Saturday night. There's 20 guys came out and... Like I said, they rented three bays. You put six or whatever, seven in each bay. And music's playing, so it's not your conventional, you know, it's uh, it's a party, right? People are out there to have fun and listen to music and, um, yeah, hit the golf ball. And the Las Vegas Top Golf Facility, it's a triple-decker. There's live bands, there's swimming pools. We don't have that, but uh, we, do have, we do have music and uh, we do have a kitchen and bar and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's just a it's a great time. And it's it's affordable too. 
Um, the cheapest rate is 40 an hour, and that's for upwards of eight people. It includes your golf balls. So it's like $5 an hour. So, you know, we even has a little uh, Go Fish app on there for the kids. So you want to have a kid's birthday party. We've had a few kids, kid groups out. They just love it. They get out there. They hit the golf ball towards targets. They catch a fish. It goes in their aquarium. And, um, yeah, and even if they can't, you know, for some reason, little Johnny can't hit the golf ball to where, where it can get tracked, there's a help shot button. Boom, he hits the help shot. It hits for him. Away it goes. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and then again, when you're playing the rounds of golf, I mean, it keeps track of your score. Of course, I mean, there's no no fudging the numbers, Eric. So it's uh, the numbers are the numbers. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting. And of course, you got the big patio out there, and uh, and the putting practice putting green. Yes, yeah. And so the all around facilities. So anybody that hasn't been out there, it might be worth your while to take a spin out there and. Uh, Look the place over, have a cup of coffee, and uh, how do you get there? Keith, you give them the, uh, the best way to get there. Highway 16 East, uh, turn at the old Ritchie Brothers auction site, and then uh, down Giscom Road towards Blackburn School. I can't miss it. Uh, you know, a lot of people think it's, oh, it's a long ways out of town. It's literally eight minutes from downtown. I timed it. Uh, if you live in College Heights, it's, uh, depending how you drive, 15 to 20 minutes, so it's really not that far, and yeah. Yeah, I usually come down First Avenue up the hill and uh, yeah, yeah, so. down by the airport and hang a left. Exactly. Okay, so that's it for today. I want to thank Keith for coming in and bringing us up to speed on uh, golf in Prince George. And uh, we'll be back right away. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. If you have a friend or family member struggling with mental illness, the BC Schizophrenia Society might be able to help. Regional teams across the province are running support groups for family and siblings, kids and teens in control drop-in groups, and the Strengthening Families Together course, all available to help you cope with your loved one's mental illness. For more information about programs available near you, or for online support, check out the support drop-down menu at bcss.org. Shooting Stars Theatre is bringing Shakespeare back to Prince George by presenting the classic comedies As You Like It and The Taming of the Shrew, Tuesday to Friday at Theatre Northwest. Directed by Melissa Glover, tickets for this great family entertainment are $10 each and available from theaternorthwest.com. Come out and enjoy the Bard with As You Like It and The Taming of the Shrew, Tuesday to Friday at Theatre Northwest in the Park Hill Centre. The next exhibition coming to Two Rivers Gallery is Immigration on August 5th. Immigration is a complex and redefining process that represents many different things to many different people. It may mean the anticipation of a new life, and it may bring a deep sense of loss. Artists from across B.C. explore the challenges, accomplishments, and aspirations related to immigration and its impact on individually, culturally, and nationally. Immigration starting Friday, August 5th at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Theatre Northwest has done a full reboot of their summer sewing camps. There are two young children camps running August 2nd to 5th to wrap up this season's camps. Full details are available through the tickets link at theaternorthwest.com. Summer sewing camps through the first week of August at Theatre Northwest of the Park Hill Centre. Register today through the tickets link at theaternorthwest.com or at Theatre Northwest in the Park Hill Centre. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. And uh, for the balance of the program, we've got two guests. We've got Peter Ewart. 
Peter's going to talk about uh, the NDP government's new ideas on uh, housing for the middle class in British Columbia. And uh, also Herb Martin, and uh, after Peter and I and Herb uh, have a discussion with Peter on housing, uh, Herb's going to talk about Amazon and the tax situation. Uh, uh, it should be interesting just to see what's what's happening in that area. So we'll go to you first, Peter, if you're ready to roll. Yeah, for sure, Eric. Yeah, like, uh, as everyone knows, uh, John Horgan is resigning as premier, and uh, David Eby, uh, who's been uh, attorney general in the NDP government, uh, has announced that he's, he's running to replace him as premier. And it looks like he'll probably win the leadership race. So um, it's interesting that EB's made it clear that his top priority, is, if he becomes premier, will be the housing issue. And uh, why I think that's important is the housing is on the minds of a lot of people in the province. Whether it's a high cost of buying a house, of, of the cost of renting an apartment, housing availability for seniors... Uh, and the overall supply of housing, depending on the region of the province. In the, in the last five years, the provincial government has mainly focused on housing for the poor or the poor and the homeless. Uh, however, in addition, EB, in addition to that, EB wants the government to create new housing supply, as you say, Eric, uh, for middle-income families. EB says, and I quote him here, we can't just leave it up to the private sector. We can work in partnership with them. We can work in partnership with First Nations. But building housing for the middle class on public land, using public resources, that is the opportunity that I see we haven't fully developed. So in that regard, it appears EB wants to increase the supply of housing stock in both urban and rural communities and also to... Uh, apparently, he's saying he wants to implement more creative options to making housing available, including rent-to-own programs, long-term leases, and more affordable uh, rentals. Now, uh, Alex Hemingway of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives supports this um, vision of EB's of increasing the housing supply. And then, by way of um, disclosure, I, uh, Alexander happens to be my son, but... So I'm just going to quote him a little bit here. Um, anyway, Alex says that this this is something increasing the supply that government can afford, and that there's a huge backlog of backlog of need in the province. Uh, at this point, we don't know, you know, what you know the actual details of what EB is talking about. But according to Alex, one option would be. For government to build below market housing in a way that's self-sustaining and self-financing. And according to him, especially because the government can borrow at lower interest rates than the private sector, it can cut the developer profit out of the picture, and as a result bring in reasonable rental income that, allow, that allows it to break even rather than, uh, than, than profit without ramping up taxes. Anyway, the, the result, according to that, would, uh, that plan would be more affordable rents and increase the housing supply. For his part, the B.C. Liberal finance critic uh, Peter Mylabar says that EB's promise for below-market housing would likely cost taxpayers a fortune. 
that the government has failed to rail in real, rein in real estate prices over the last five years. And he's, he says that he's little confidence that the ND government can deliver on this promise. So um, there's more to it, right, in terms of uh, what's been going on there, but I'll just uh, uh, and hold off at this point just to say that um, one thing for sure, if, if EB becomes the next premier, it appears that the government's housing policy is very likely to have a definite focus on this housing. The details of that Whatever that change is going to be, who's going to benefit and what the cost will be, uh, that remains to be seen. Okay. I, <clears throat> you know, this is uh, could be an astronomical shift in how houses are built in British Columbia if he goes forward with uh, a lot of the stuff he's talking about. Uh, lots of problems in the housing industry that, uh, you know, I was thinking the other day, when uh, lumber was trading at uh, $1,500 a thousand board foot American, I think that price added about $30,000 to the cost of a home, like uh, that price for lumber, two by four studs or whatever. Now it's down around, I don't know, her, what is it, 550 575 Yeah, around 600 bucks US, which around, is. Around 600 bucks US, and uh, so. There's quite a few houses now in Canada and in certainly in British Columbia that has very, very expensive two-by-fours in there, costing $15 a thousand that are now only worth $600 a thousand. So there should be two things that happen. Number one, the people that paid that kind of money for those two-by-fours, I think are going to be stuck with it. Number two, anybody building a new house is not going to be paying that kind of money. They're going to be paying $600 a thousand, which should in theory, anyway, bring the price of that house down by $20,000. I don't know if we'll ever see that or how we would be able to track it, but it's those types of things, uh, uh, in addition to what Evie's talking about, about land and, and developing, we have to start looking at the other costs of uh, building a house. And that includes the costs of uh, real estate, the costs of the uh, property itself and the cost of municipal governments and what they're charging in order to get a house off the ground so I'm just going to leave that hanging there for now because I want to get into the uh, the part about uh, like years ago the city of Prince George used to uh, service lots and then put them up for auction and uh, people would bid on them and then the upset price, whatever it was in those days, it was twenty or thirty thousand dollars for a lot, and a person would buy them. Then the, the uh, developer would buy about twenty lots at that price, and then he would build houses on it for you. But you knew going in how much you paid for that lot. It's common knowledge. Now he goes and buys it from a private uh, landowner or, or whatever, services the lots, puts a price tag on them. You have no idea how much it actually cost him to service that lot. All you know is what he's charging you for it. I seen one sign uh, the other day there said the lot was around 140, starts at $140,000, so I don't know where it ends. But uh, probably 10 years ago it was 80000 So there's so much fluctuation in, in pricing for property, houses, and all the ancillary charges that uh, I think we've got to do... I think AB's on the right track, but we just have to do more. Anything you want to say on that, Herb? Yeah, I, mean, I think the <clears throat> municipalities and uh, and provincial government have to get more involved. Um, uh, 
know, in in um, looking at this uh, Ginter's Green uh, proposal for extending um, Massey um, uh, uh, up to Tyner and um, uh, extending potentially foothills right through from um, from 18th or from 21st over to um, Ferry, uh, it looks like there's. Um, uh, all sorts of hidden subsidies to some of these uh, new developments that are that are happening. So, you know, with the uh, uh, developments on Tyner and University Way, uh, you're looking at um, uh, overloading potentially the um, uh, the uh, design um, uh, parameters for that uh, for that uh, roadway. I think the uh, traffic already is at 9,500 vehicles per day. It was designed for 12,000. With another 600 houses potentially going in there, they're going to have to twin uh, Tyner all the way up to the top of University Way, and you're going to have to probably replace that uh, 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 bridge over the um, over the creek there. So that's uh, you're looking at a $10 million price tag right there easily. And um, that's something the municipality will have to to pay in order to get a really modest uh, number of houses uh, built. So, you know, this is um, something that the taxpayers have to start looking at and um, and really start considering. Okay, we're going to go to a break now, and uh, we'll be back for more on housing. Learn the importance of advanced planning and what older adults should know about wills, powers of attorney, and representative agreements Wednesday at your Prince George Public Library. Presented by lawyers Trevor Slaney and Carolyn Burkholder-James, space is limited for this free two-hour seminar. Register by calling the Seniors Resource Centre at 250-564-5888. Estate and Incapacity Planning, a free information seminar Wednesday afternoon from 1 to 3 at your Prince George Public Library. Not-for-profit organizations are often on the forefront of leading important social and cultural change. In view of a dynamic and robust not-for-profit landscape, change has become the default setting for many organizations. Vantage Point's Leading Change, the 5Ws resource, gives perspective on the 5Ws of change leadership and how organizations can shift from managing change to leading change. This valuable download is available free through the downloadable resources page under media at thevantagepoint.ca. Bravo Children's Theatre Company has two-week summer drama camps on through the end of August. For children ages 7 to 17 with family discounts available, camps will explore different Broadway shows and learn about what goes into creating those theatrical events. For registration and other details on these weekday camps, email bravochildrenstheatre at gmail.com. Two-week children's drama camps from Bravo Children's Theatre Company on through the end of August at the Civic Centre. Forecast for Environment Canada... Mainly cloudy today, clearing this afternoon, a high of 25 with a very high UV index. Tonight, clear with a low of 11. For Tuesday, sunny, a high of 29 with a high UV index. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. I'm going to go to you, Peter. If you just hang on, I just want to give you a, a sense here. This program that Evie's talking about now... The government's going to supply the land. They're going to arrange to have these uh, houses built. You're going to be able to rent them, lease them, purchase them. Uh, what's kind of your idea how they're going to do this? Uh, do you think they're going to set up a big government-run organization that just looks after housing and buying and selling and renting housing in British Columbia? Or 
I didn't get any of that information out of that article, but uh, you get any comment on that? Yeah, well, we don't know at this point, like, just um, what, what direction uh, uh, the government is going to go. But one of the things that they, they, they talk about is that, you know, because the previous governments in previous decades... Uh, you know, didn't, uh, you know, put money into, uh, you know, co-op housing and low rental housing and low and middle income housing and all this. It's created a acute situation today, right? You know, so you have a, a lot of people who are in a, not in a good position, like young, young people trying to get into the housing market. Uh, you have elderly people who are, are looking for uh, uh, apartments and uh, affordable apartments. Uh, so you have this situation and it it depends on the um, on the problems or you know of, of particular regions you know Vancouver has its own problems Prince George has its own problems and uh, other regions of the of the province but I think one of the things is is that clearly government has to step in here you know like there, there's kind of been an ideology over the last several decades that you know following my, my Margaret Thatcher's whole thing about you know, the government should not be involved in anything, right? But I think sometimes, like when we look at this situation, that a lot of people will agree that, that sometimes governments have to step in to uh, help develop a, and solve a problem. And, uh, and the housing problem is one that uh, is it's a very fundamental thing, like shelter, food, water. You know, these are the basics, right? And, you know, dealing with shelter is... Uh, is a really important issue that needs uh, that needs an overall plan. Like if we just leave it to the, you know, to the market, right, the so-called market, uh, then you get all kinds of skewed uh, results, including uh, you know very high uh, housing costs and uh, lack of supply and 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 so on. So we need um, we need to, to have some fresh ideas in terms of how to do this, because there are different ways to do it, which can not, um, you know, burden the taxpayer with, uh, you know, uh, extra taxes and so on, right? Like, uh, you can do, have self-financing models using the nonprofit or, or public sector and, and, and get with government involvement. And I think that's one of the things that um, a lot of, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussion about in terms of what exactly how that could play out, because like as you say, there's uh, there's been changes, you know, like in terms of uh, uh, how uh, property is bought and sold, and what kind of information is available, and so on. And we need more information, and we need new ideas in, our, in terms of uh, moving ahead to solve this problem. Yeah, do you want to make a comment before we? Get off the subject here. Yeah, I mean, I think one one easy solution is for uh, uh, governments to show some courage here and um, stand up for the taxpayers whose money's been spent. Uh, if you look at Boundary Road, there's been over thirty million dollars of taxpayer money invested in that development, and um, uh, without really much to show for it. So uh, I, I would say that uh, you know there's a possibility that uh, that should be looked at that the government uh, or various governments could actually expropriate uh, some of that um, that property uh, where there's been a large uh, public uh, investment over thirty million dollars and uh, start uh, putting um, putting in uh, private lots 
uh, and I think uh, if you did the math, uh, roughly, um, uh, I think it's overall 5,000 acres. If you expropriated half of that and created uh, a quarter acre lots, you'd be uh, looking at 10,000 lots, which is supposedly what uh, Prince George needs to develop in the next 10 years. So, you know, that's uh, that's money that's already been spent out there, and uh, it's, it's it should be um, should be taken advantage of. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to take a break now, and uh, we'll come back. We'll talk about Amazon and Texas. The Prince George RCMP is requesting your help in locating a wanted person. 45-year-old Reginald Edmund Jr. Cott is wanted for mischief. He is a Caucasian male, 6 foot 2, 161 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. Mr. Cott should be considered violent and should not be approached. If you know of his whereabouts, call the Prince George RCMP at 250-561-3300 or report online at northernbccrimestoppers.ca. The Community Radio Fund of Canada is seeking nominations for positions on its board of directors. By becoming a part of the CRFC, you can help strengthen local broadcasters in the Canadian media landscape. Candidates are needed with general experience in financial administration, broadcasting, legal issues, and knowledge of CRTC and Industry Canada broadcast regulations. Full details are available at crfc-fcrc.ca slash en slash 2850. Applications will be accepted through September 30th. Advocate Life and Education Services is looking for a development coordinator. Working closely with the Manager of Development and Communications, the coordinator is responsible for ensuring the fine details of all fundraising and marketing initiatives are completed. The successful candidate will work out of the Advocate's BC head office in Babbisford. To apply or for more information, visit the Get Involved page at advocate.ca. The application deadline for development coordinator position for Advocate Life and Education Services is August 15th. On now at Two Rivers Gallery, Matrilineal, a new exhibition by interdisciplinary artist Haley Bassett. In difficult times, tools from our past can help us build new pathways forward. In the exhibition, Haley draws from her Métis and Eastern European heritage to explore new methods of recovery from gender-based violence. Matrilineal is on at Two Rivers Gallery through August 7th. Check it out today. Matrilineal from Haley Bassett at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and we're going to go to Herb now, and uh, he's going to give us a little overview of uh, his understanding of uh, Amazon, how it operates, and uh, and how it's taxed. Uh, not sure how this is all going to shake out, but... You know, Amazon could be in two or three or four different countries simultaneously. So I don't know myself who looks after the tax end of it. But anyway, Herb, give us a... Yeah, just for a little background, uh, e-commerce is a a pretty quick-growing segment of the retail market. Uh, 2016, it counted for 2.3% of all Canadian retail sales. By 2020, it had tripled that up up to almost 8% of all retail sales in Canada. Um. And in 2020, also, uh, over a third of Canadians uh, had shopped online. Uh, Amazon controls roughly 50% of the Canadian um, uh, uh, e-commerce market. And uh, unfortunately, it's come to light that uh, they've engaged in some pretty aggressive um, uh, tax minimization strategies uh, as far as um, having uh, their employees uh, uh, 
who work in Canada only stay in Canada for up to 110, uh, 182 days, so they don't actually qualify as being um, Canadian employees, uh, that they're actually not allowed to discuss uh uh, Canadian um, uh, retail businesses uh, at certain points, again, to uh, evade uh, or uh, avoid, rather, um, uh, Canadian corporate tax. So, uh, you know, there's uh, recently the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses, which represent 95,000 uh, small and medium-sized businesses, have um, come out and criticized this and, and said, basically, you know, Amazon has got an unfair advantage, uh, whereas Canadian retailers uh, have to pay taxes, uh, have a, a bricks-and-mortar operation. Uh, Amazon's really ev- evading all that, and um, or I guess you got to say avoiding, because uh, ev- tax evasion is illegal, but ca- tax avoidance is legal. So, um, you, you know, the... the, the it's it's a it is a kind of a global problem. Uh, Japan uh, assessed uh, Amazon with a 140 million dollar uh, penalty for uh, avoiding uh, taxes there, and uh, I think Amazon's uh, wound up paying paying up. But uh, and and there's international uh, uh, organizations such as the um, OECD that has spent over a decade trying to develop a system. Uh, Two, two tax uh, multinationals that operate uh, uh, basically through uh, through the cloud, and uh, they admitted that it's uh, Amazon's retail profits are so small that it's uh, it's likely that uh, they would uh, avoid paying those as well. So it's uh, it is a problem and uh, makes 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 you wonder what. Uh, uh, what the what the future of retail is if it keeps on growing at this rate uh, it's going to pose real problems to Canadian retailers and uh, a lot of jobs here in Canada uh, yeah I'm not uh, not too sure where it's going except that uh, one thing I do know is that Amazon is rarely the cheapest solution if you really want to go online go to eBay you'll always save about 10 to 20 percent you might have to wait a couple of weeks for your delivery but it's always cheaper than Amazon so it's and the other the other uh, concerning thing is that Amazon is not just into uh, e or e-commerce or uh, uh, online retail. It's also uh, developed um, uh, powerful presences in entertainment uh, and in um, uh, cloud computing. And so it's uh, it's sort of a creeping behemoth that uh, doesn't doesn't pay taxes and is not really Canadian. And uh, not really providing a whole lot of benefit for Canadians. Peter, do you want to comment on that? <clears throat> uh, yeah, no, the, I agree with her. But it's a, this is a, a problem. It's in some ways it's a it's a it's a new problem in the sense that you have uh, these oligopolies like Amazon uh, dominating uh, not just national markets but world markets, and uh, uh, so it it poses problems that uh, call out for solutions. Part of the problem is is that, uh, you know, these uh, big oligopolies, uh, they, they have uh, national governments under their thumb. And so as a result, you get uh, these situations whereby they're in a very profitable position, but uh, the homegrown businesses, small, medium businesses and all this, are, are put into trouble. Um uh, 
in comparison to uh, you know the these global guys, you know. So it's it's a solution that's calling, or it's a, a situation that's calling out for for solutions. And uh, in some some parts of the world, it's a question of the uh, taxation and so on. But uh, we also have to look at the fact of. Uh, you know, just how much involved are these uh, oligopolies like Amazon involved in, uh, uh, you know, the functioning of government, uh, and also even uh, into the areas of security areas, you know, that uh, exist. So yeah, yeah, we have uh, we're looking for solutions in this in this area that uh, are necessary to bring about. Uh, if we don't want to see um, more and more uh, businesses, you know, national and local businesses being driven out of business. Well, it is a little bit somewhat unique in the, you know, because it's being handled uh, online and by computers, but really uh, when you delve into it, it's not much different than uh, Simpson's Sears or Eaton's catalog. I mean, you look something up, you get a number, you send it in, they put it in the mail and they mail it to you, you go down to the post office and pick it up. I don't see any difference between Amazon doing that or Simpson Sears or Eaton's doing it. Uh, <clears throat> so then you get down to, a, well, where are these companies located now? Amazon has nine warehouses in Canada. And uh, I think they just stock them up with stuff that they know is going to move and they bring it in hold it in the warehouse. When they get an order, they ship it out. But they ship it out with the transportation company. So the transportation company picks it up at their warehouse, delivers it to your door, and uh, I'm not sure who pays the freight on that. It's probably paid by uh, Amazon. But if it originates in Canada and it's delivered in Canada, then there's got to be GST on it. If it originates in a foreign country, then it's probably GST exempt. So they may already be paying GST. I don't know. But... Uh, it's basically a supply line from China to a warehouse in Canada, United States, to the customer. And there's really nothing tangible there as a corporation. It's, I mean, you can do it yourself. We just said that. I can get on the phone or on a computer, order something. I've done it and order stuff from China, and it'll deliver it to my door. I don't have to go through Amazon. And uh, if there is any taxes there, it's going to be on, uh, I don't know where it is, because I don't recall paying any taxes, so. I guess I'm as guilty as Amazon is on a smaller <laughs> scale, $8.32. <laughs> well, one thing Amazon is good at is getting uh, government subsidies. So they they went to Quebec and said they want to create data centers. And uh, they got uh, estimated $381 million in, in uh, subsidies from, the, from Hydro-Quebec and the Quebec government to uh, create really not that many... Uh, uh, data center jobs. And, uh, you know, we've had a similar situation here in Prince George where BC Hydro is given the, uh, the, the, uh, the new Bitcoin factory a five cent uh, rate on, uh, on hydroelectricity. So, you know, governments have to be smarter. You know, this, uh, five, you know, if, if they can afford to give, uh, some of these companies, uh, five cent, uh, electrical rates, uh, you know, when the res, when residential customers are paying 12 cents uh, you know that's something that uh, has to be looked at Peter we're just about ready to go here you got a final no I guess we don't have time for a final comment so thanks guys and uh, we'll do it again next no we won't next week's a holiday I think so we'll do it a week after that thanks everybody for listening and we're off the air
After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.